All right, Duval, take a deep breath with me. Welcome into another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. We've got a lot of news to cover. Jaguars coming off their 18th straight loss, third straight loss of the season. A lot to get into. CJ Henderson heading up north. How are we feeling about all this today, Jeremy? How are you feeling about Thursday night football? Oh, man, it's a whirlwind. You know, the games are on the corner. There's a lot to digest. A lot happened in the last two days, three days here. And we're going to have a little bit of a different looking team coming into Thursday. But we're right around the corner. You know, we got some more football in two days. And and you can't be too mad about that ever. So, you know, as long as we can see uh, some good stuff on Thursday night, I'll be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into Thursday night football. Obviously, Jaguars at Bengals. We'll uh, take a look back at the Jaguars versus Cardinals matchup as well. Some takeaways from that. Uh, First, though, we've got some news to talk about. As I mentioned, C.J. Henderson traded to Carolina. Uh, The Jags sent C.J. and a fifth-round pick to the Carolina Panthers for tight end Dan Arnold and a third-round pick. Where do we stand on this trade? Well, I mean, no matter how you look at it, no matter how you want to explain it, no matter how you want to dissect it, defend it, whatever it is, the fact of the matter is it's another first-round top 10 high draft pick that the Jags just absolutely missed on. I mean, we knew that there were some concerns coming out of uh, of the draft and, you know, with the body language and, and you know, just the effort and, and all that stuff surrounding CJ. I get it. You know, I understand the decision. I, you know, I've come to to grips with the fact that he just doesn't fit in here. He's part of the old regime. But again, like I said, it just boils down to another swing and miss at a first round draft pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And usually when you have turnover in regimes, you don't really see that a lot with, with first round, you know, highly drafted guys. Those are supposed to be corner pieces of your franchise year in and year out. And when a new regime comes in, those guys aren't necessarily the guys who are looking to move out. You know, they're they're moving out some of the lower draft picks, you know, who aren't game changers, who aren't guys that fit the culture, fit the system, fit the scheme. I get that, but you usually don't see that with with first round guys. And it just kind of, you know, sheds a little bit more light on this rut that the Jaguars are in. You look at other franchises that have turned around uh, you know, their their success, the Cardinals, you know, teams like that that have had first round picks in the past, have taken quarterbacks and have been able to build them up and turn them into winning teams. And you've seen everything that goes into that. A lot of that is drafting guys and, and building on it for the future. And if you keep getting into this, you know, routine of of drafting guys high and, and booting them out after a year or two, you're not gonna get yourself in a good position. So it's kind of like the Jaguars are taking a step back, all that, you know, kind of good feeling that we had about the team that was around Trevor coming in. We thought they were better, you know, than, than some of the other rebuilding stories we've heard in the past, but it really doesn't look like that anymore. So, I mean, it just, it hurts to lose a guy like that. I mean, we needed a tight end, but the return was not there. I get that the market for CJ probably wasn't great, but we heard some rumblings early on in the season about a CJ trade for Mike Thomas. Now I don't know how much of that was, you know, real and how much traction that really had, but Usually when you see stuff come out like that from reputable sources around the league where there's smoke, there's fire. So teams obviously had interest in CJ and it's just not really the return that you would expect for a first round quarterback, no matter what the narrative is around him, no matter what, you know, the, the, the talk is that holds value. He's still a first round pick. So kind of sucks to see that return, but I mean, I, I guess I can kind of understand it, but again, put you in a bad spot going forward. Well, yeah, there's two ways to look at this. Um, obviously, it's an organizational failure from the standpoint that they drafted him a year, less than a year and a half ago in the top 10 when you had guys like Tristan Wirfs, Mekhi Becton, um, uh, Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, all sorts of just Lamb. still on the board. CD Lamb, absolutely. Um, so that's an organizational failure without question. The draft last year did not go the way it needed to go in the first round for the Jaguars. C.J. Henderson, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's motivational effort, doesn't care about the game. Not sure what it is. We we can't speculate too much on that because we really don't know. But the body language hasn't been great. He's a quiet guy, which doesn't really jive with what you've got in the back end for the Jaguars right now with guys like Shaq Griffin, Rayshon Jenkins, all those guys. They're just fiery uh, competitors and 
I'm not going to say that Henderson's not a competitor, but he's certainly not fiery on the field. Uh, so obviously that is an organizational standpoint. It was a failure from an organizational standpoint. I do believe this new regime did their best to try to kind of work with him, get him comfortable, but it didn't happen. Um, I can't blame them for that. They're not the guys who drafted uh, CJ Henderson. I do think they tried to make the best out of a bad situation and it didn't work out. So certainly when you look at the Jaguars as a whole over the last decade, these first round picks, they don't work out. Uh, Whether they're busts or they don't want to be in Jacksonville or whatever happens, it has not worked out for the Jaguars with their first round picks. Um, But then you look at now what this organization, this regime has to do. I think CJ Henderson has not been available a lot. When he has been available during the regular season, he has not played particularly well. He's had a couple good games, but mostly average to below average performances, in my opinion. Now, the talent's there. There's no question. As a young guy, I mean, physically, he can do everything you would want from a man-to-man defense type of team, a man coverage team that likes to blitz. Yeah, C.J. Henderson's got the skill set for that. But does he have the mindset for it? It doesn't seem like it. So what what uh who is going to give you a better chance to win this week cj henderson or dan arnold i think when you look at it from that perspective is henderson motivated all that stuff obviously dan arnold is not the talent that cj henderson is but when you're looking about or looking at this team specifically i just don't think it was going to work out with henderson here and i'm Excited for Carolina. They obviously lost J.C. Horn. They think they're getting a guy that's super talented, and he is. But they need Matt Rule and the rest of that team needs to figure out how to get C.J. Henderson motivated on the field and ready to go. But for the Jaguars, they do get a third-round pick in exchange for a fifth-round pick, and they get tight end Dan Arnold, who's a guy I did want to see the Jaguars sign this offseason. He was a free agent coming from the Arizona Cardinals. Signed a two-year deal worth $6 million total with the uh, Panthers. The Jaguars had interest in him. I had interest in him. He's big, long, athletic, very good hands. He's more of a – I mean, not more of a – he's absolutely a pass-catching tight end, not a run-blocking tight end. He's definitely more in the mold of like a Darren Waller, and I'm not calling him Darren Waller, but – that's how you're going to try to use him, right? Stretch the seam, get him out on routes, get him matched up against uh, guys that just can't match up with him, either from a size perspective or from an athleticism perspective. Uh, so I do think Dan Arnold will help. Uh, I also think that they were going to get Tyson Campbell in the starting lineup after this week regardless. Whether that's the right decision or not, I'm not sure, but that's what they were going to do. And then you've got Trey Herndon coming back into the slot. He's fully healthy now. So I know that was a, a lot to digest there, but that's just kind of my stream of consciousness thoughts on this whole thing. I mean, yeah, and you you better be damn sure right about Tyson Campbell. I mean, that that's what they said their motivating factor was. The progression, the you know growth of, of Tyson Campbell is what led them to make this decision. Now, I don't necessarily know if that's the full, honest to God's truth. You know that that makes it sound like it's okay, but. From my perspective, whenever C.J. Henderson is on the field, whenever he is healthy, he's the second-best corner on this team, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, you could talk about his effort and his lack of intensity or whatever you want, but skill-wise, I mean, it just is what it is. And kudos to the Panthers. I I mean, they they bought really low on a guy with a really high ceiling for them. There's no baggage on their end. You know, the Jaguars are still on the hook for for most of that cap. C.J. is still going to have a cap hit uh, with the Jaguars going forward. Well, and that's negligible for draft picks. You know, that's not really a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it it's that way. It's not a it's, big number. Right, it's it's not a big number, but it's still there. It could still, you know, prevent you from, you know, giving that that free agent that you want next year an extra one or they two million dollars. They have the most dollars. cap space in football, dude. Well, they They're going to be all right on they, that. And, well, they didn't do any, uh, excuse my language, jack shit with it this offseason. So, you know, what's going to change next year? But, I mean, I mean, it does, if, if you really boil down to it, it, it does – you know, whether it's minute or, or, you know, whatever, it still is there. It's still, you know, if it really comes down to it and they do go out and sign a bunch of guys and they've got one top tier free agent that needs just a, a million or two more to, to you know, 
uh, you know, ed- edge out the competitor. They're not going to be able to do that. They're going to be fine with that, man. Joe Schobert's gone. That their cap situation is the least of my concerns. Right, but it's still there. It's it's in. I it's think the issue the- is what's the um, what's the ceiling and what's the floor for this potential trade return. The ceiling for the Panthers is massive. It is. Um, you could be talking about a quality starting corner. Uh, and then for, for the Jaguars, I think, well, so the ceiling for Henderson isn't a quality starting corner. I mean, it's a, he's a first legit, pick, top 10 a legit starting corner. Yeah. Dan Arnold. I don't think his ceiling is nearly as high. I also don't think his floor is as low as Henderson's though. Cause we don't know where Henderson is at mentally. I mean, this is a guy that the coaches had to drive to his house, try to get him to come practice. Right. Um, so it's interesting. Obviously, it's not great. Not a great look. Uh, the Jaguars did try to get him going this season. It didn't happen. It's going to be, you know, another one of those storylines you follow for the next few years. What is CJ Henderson doing? Uh, and what is tight end Dan Arnold doing? And what do the Jaguars do with that third round pick? What do the Panthers do with that fifth round pick? It's going to be all very interesting. Uh, I don't think anybody can sit here and say that they're pumped about it. Uh, I think if you're spinning this in a positive light, you're kind of just uh, <laughs> a mouthpiece for the team at this point. But I do think Dan Arnold can help the passing offense. I mean, he does. He does. He absolutely does. He has another dynamic that we don't have. I think he's better than Jacob Hollister. I'll well, say that. yeah. I mean, that, it, that can't be that hard. Right. I mean, you know. I'm just saying. Right. So yes, it, it adds an extra an, an extra level to the offense that we don't have yet. But at what cost? I mean, we've talked about how thin we thought the secondary was. Now, granted, you do get Trey Herndon back, who's got some experience with the team. Um, you know, has never been you know a a super standout guy, but I think he's been a pretty solid nickel. Uh, you know, a pretty yeah. a solid. He's he's got length. Uh, I'll give him that. And he's not the fastest guy, but he's got length. So at what cost, though? You know, it obviously minimizes your depth in the cornerback room. Obviously, you have Nevin Lawson, who's now going to get probably a little bit more playing time, get a little more acclimated to the scheme. Chris Claybrooks now, you know, he, he doesn't just become that back-end fringe guy. He's going to have to, you know, really step up and, and make some plays, especially in dime formations. But I don't hate what he did uh, on Sunday. Yeah, he I, I thought pretty well. Really. Uh-oh. Lost you there a little bit, but uh, uh, sorry. I said, yeah, Claybrooks played pretty well. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, he he had a couple good plays there. So I mean, it just is what it is. One of the things you kind of just got to swallow and move on from. But like you said, it's always going to be the back of your mind. What's CJ Henderson doing? What does he become? And unless you can take Dan Arnold and, and turn him into Darren Waller or turn him into somebody like that, or you know, really a game changing tight end, you're kind of behind the ball here. But you know, it is he's what it not is. That it? type of an athlete. He, he's, he's not. He's, he's a good not, athlete. But you, but we got a quarterback now who can turn guys like that, or at least hopefully the thought is you can turn guys like that into something more than they are. That's what great yeah. quarterbacks do. They turn guys into, you know, to, to the, they give guys that next level. They give guys that ability to be, you know, something more than they are. So, you know, hopefully that's something that we can capitalize on. But like you mentioned, I mean, it was a guy that we you know, identified in free agency, thought about bringing here. And, you know, it obviously came down to, to Arizona. So, I mean, that's tough. Obviously, the Jags weren't, you know, on the top of his list last offseason. He goes from 3-0 to 0-3. How, you know, what's his mindset? What's his mental, you know? So that's going to be something I take They've consideration about, too. They've talked about that already. And, I mean, obviously, yeah, what's he gonna you, say? you don't oh, want to go from – you don't want to go from three and zero to zero and three, but I do. I do think his attitude is going to be just fine. He's going to be good for the team. Just, um, just make an impact. That's all I need. Just make an impact. And and you know, if if CJ was a cancer in the locker room, let's weed that out. And let's just keep progressing on defense. Well, I mean, Rayshon Jenkins was definitely not too uh, shook up about it. I mean, you saw that. No, I don't think he was a cancer. Though. I just don't think he was like a positive or I, he was just off on his own yeah type of thing. but i mean that that's a weird bring the unity of the locker room i mean you want guys that are together from top to bottom so i, I can and see I from that standpoint urban meyer won't say that about henderson but i definitely do agree that there was at least some of that right. going on right well we can sit here and wallow on it forever but just dan arnold just make an impact catch that ball over the middle you know don't don't make create any turnovers for your quarterback just just help us out man just help us out yeah, I mean, just catch the damn ball. <laughs> right? How hard could you. it be? All right, so we talked about that for quite a while. That's okay. It was a big deal. It is a big deal, and it's something that will continue to be talked about for a long time. 
But uh, the Jaguars are trending towards being fully healthy for week four with Trey Herndon. Uh, They're not actually like doing real practices right now. So the injury reports are estimated. Um, But Trey Herndon would have practiced fully the last couple of days. Cam Robinson would have practiced fully today. He missed some time last week with the ankle. Um, And then Andrew Norwell, or excuse me, was Robinson the ankle? Yeah, I think it was. And then Norwell yeah, he, and Roy he went Robertson. Down. He went down on Sunday, but he yeah. came back. I, Will I Richardson think he only... came in. Yep. And then Cam Robinson came back in, though. I think Richardson only played the one one or two drives. But yeah. Norwell and Roy Robertson-Harris, they're both limited as well. Uh, I think they're trending towards playing. Uh, the Jaguars signed kicker Matt Wright to the practice squad. Um, this is a guy, UCF kicker. Uh, steadily improved throughout his college career. Final season, I think he made 85% of his field goal tries. He's pretty much perfect from extra points throughout his college career. He made 100% of the extra points during his senior season. He kind of bounced around. He's been with the Steelers, uh, the Vipers in the XFL, then the Lions back to the Steelers. Last year for the Steelers, he actually did have to play a little bit. He made four field goal tries uh, in the regular season, and I think seven extra points, something like that. So he's perfect in the NFL from a regular season standpoint. Uh, Obviously they brought him in because Lambeau is just struggling and we can talk more about that in the Cardinals recap, but you now have some competition. I know Urban Meyer hated to do that because he really loves Lambeau's work ethic and what Lambeau has done in the past. But Matt Wright is now here to compete for that job. Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. I mean, Lambeau's just, he's been, such a great guy, not only for the organization, but for the city. And it's kind of funny because Jacksonville has always kind of, you know, been that kind of, of, of place for kickers. When you kind of have the lack of talent that we have on the field, you got to gravitate towards something. So whatever he's got going on, it, it's got to be mental. It's got to be the yips. You know, when he's in practice, he's been great. Um, when he's been in pregame, he's been great. And then you get out on the field and, a couple of those balls just just didn't come off his foot right. That second extra point from the left hash, he pushed it right, just didn't come off his foot right. So you really hope that he can work through it. I don't think that we'll see right this week on a short week. That's a really tough transition to make. But I mean, this is this is pretty much it for Lambeau. You know, if they didn't make that decision on Sunday, I think they take him through Thursday. Um, and if he goes perfect on Thursday, hypothetically speaking. You know, maybe you can roll with that. Keep the kicker on the practice squad until he's needed. But I mean, this is this is really it. If it was just a full week, I think he'd be gone. I think he got, you know, the benefit of having a short week this week. But I mean, if you ever had the last straw, the last chance, this has really got to be it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would have a hard time even trotting him out there to try a field goal or an extra point personally. Just like as a that would scare the shit out of me uh, if I was Urban Meyer. But We'll see how it plays out. Uh, reminder to check out jinjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. Let's jump into Jaguars Cardinals. Um, Jaguars fell at home for the second straight week. Again, 18th straight loss for the franchise, third straight loss for the current regime. Uh what a game. I mean, they had the longest field goal return in NFL history to end the first half. Jamal Agnew just amazing return man two straight weeks with 100 plus yard touchdowns he's able to break tackles without breaking stride and of course you've got great effort from all the guys blocking for him you had the beautiful touchdown pass from trevor to dj in the first half that was a top one percent throw i mean just beautiful stuff there you had that dominant drive in the third quarter featuring eight straight runs you get up 19 10 but then you have the collapse at the end of the third You're up nine points, and then you're down by five and just seven plays. You have the flea flicker and then the quick drive by the Cardinals to take the lead, and that was pretty much it for the Jaguars. Uh, Where do you want to start here? Man, I was about to ask you the same question. Where do you want to begin? Where do you want to unpack this? Well, first, I want to go to the first half. Let's start there uh, before things get you know really crazy. I think the defense did a phenomenal job, a phenomenal job. I mean, granted, you know, James Conner, you know, had some good runs, um, you know, they were moving the ball, but it was a very good bend, don't break type of, of situation for the Jaguars defense. When you have an offense like the Cardinals that that, that come in and, and they just have all the weapons that you could dream of when it comes to, you know, the receiving core, the backfield, even their tight ends up front, you know, their offensive line is pretty stout. 
the best that you can do is just hope that you can hold them and, and, and limit the big plays and, you know, limit, you know, the, the, the game breaking kind of stuff. And I think they did for the first half, really for the first three quarters, we'll kind of get in that a little bit later, but that first half, I think they did a really great job of, of limiting the big plays. Um, you know, didn't really let Kyler get out on the run too much. Didn't really let anything big happen. And it put them in a good position to win. I mean, they held the Cardinals uh, to, to one for nine on third downs. That's how you get a team off the field. That's how you keep a team from scoring. We talked about it last week. How do you keep the Cardinals from scoring? You keep Kyler Murray off the field, and they did a great job of that. They forced a turnover as well. I mean, they did everything that you could have actually asked them for, asked them to do, and and they still, unfortunately, due to some other issues, couldn't come up with the win. I really thought this was the game where you know the, the team was going to take that step as the game started to progress. I thought, oh wow, we're turning the corner here. I mean, Trevor just with an absolute beautiful throw to Chark in the end zone. I mean, if you go through that and watch that play from the back end, he's going through his progressions on the right side of the field. He knows where Chark is going to be. He turns around and makes that throw over two defenders. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect into the back corner of the end zone, and you couldn't ask for anything else. Like you said, that's a top 1% throw. That's a throw that you know 20 other quarterbacks in the NFL are not making. Um, that's a throw that we've never seen any quarterback here make. And, and that's just what gives you hope that we are going to make that turn. And Urban Meyer talked about it last week. You've got to have a spark. We're looking for sparks to really turn this thing around. And they finally got one at the end of the first half. Trotton Prater out for a 68-yard field goal that fell just short. And Agnew did the rest. I mean, you've got a perfect setup for that. Right before that play happened, I looked at my buddy next to me, my cousin. I said, look. He's about to run this back, and we're going to go into halftime up. And sure enough, he damn sure did. I mean, beautiful play, beautiful play. I just, I felt it. I felt it, man. And I know one, will, no one will believe me, but I looked at him and I said it. I said he's going to take this back right here, and he did. And we went crazy. I mean, just the energy, the spark. You finally turned it around. You finally had something going, and and you have to build off that. And unfortunately, the second half, you know, we we kind of made some mistakes and shot ourselves in the foot there. Yeah, they did. And I mean, they kept it rolling after that, uh, the third quarter uh, until the end of the third quarter, of course. And that that drive where they just ran the ball eight straight times right down the throat of the Cardinals defense was so impressive. They were exerting their will. Uh, James Robinson, he got going this game. They gave him 15 carries. They targeted him six times in the passing game. He caught all six of them. He was the bell cow back. You kind of expected him to be from the beginning of this season, finally they got him going the way that they need to, uh, and they need to keep doing that moving forward. Absolutely agree. And even Carlos Hyde coming in there, uh, you know, taking a couple loads off of uh, of Jim Robinson's back, and, and he was really effective in the run game too. And like you said, when you come out and you can run the ball eight straight plays for positive yards all the way down the field and punch it in the end zone, why do you go away? We've been clamoring and screaming for James Robinson to get the damn ball just because of the kind of player that he is, the player that he was last year on this team, on this very not good team. Give that man the ball, and they finally do it. They finally get him going. He's effective. Like you said, that's just a a, a search or dominance type of drive. We're better than you. We're going to line it up, and you can't stop us. Play after play after play, and they did it, and it was beautiful. I mean, that's what football guys dream of, right? Just running the ball down your throat every single play. Why am I going to throw the ball if I don't have to? So it was, it was just, it was baffling to me to see the next play call on on first down of that next drive. Yeah, so let's get to that. The flea flicker. Um, uh, I'll jump into it. Uh, we because we've. Coaching staff and the players have kind of talked a lot about this play so far this week. So you have a flea flicker when you're up 19 to 10 uh, at your own 21 yard line. The uh, the pitch back to Trevor is great. You've got the offensive line rotating to the right. Andrew Norwell is supposed to do <laughs> the whirling. Oh God, the whirly bird. And uh, apparently Andrew Norwell was not, in the wrong there. He was supposed to spin out and go get the guy on the back end uh, on the far left side of the line where uh, Will Richardson, who was in the drive for that game instead of Cam Robinson, was supposed to be able to get his hands on J.J. Watt. And of course, he was not able to do that. Now, going back and looking at this, Trevor absolutely had to throw the ball away. 
um, and the offensive line did not block the play properly. I'm starting to think, however, I was kind of defending the call a little bit. I'm not a flea flicker type of guy. Like, I just don't think that's necessary. Just run play action type of stuff. But I didn't just bury Bevel for that call. Now, the one reason I will say I kind of take back my defense of him, you installed this play, right? I don't know how many times you ran it in practice, but you did install the play. They talked about that. Was Will Richardson in on that install? Because if he wasn't, then he didn't know what he was going to be doing on that play. He was not prepared. And it didn't look like he was prepared. So, uh, yeah, you've got Trevor needed to throw the ball away. But if Will Richardson just gets hands on J.J. Watt, that's a touchdown to D.J. Chark, who absolutely burned Buda Baker, who bit. You know, the whole defense kind of bit on it. Buda Baker especially, and D.J. Chark would have been uh, just racing down down the field for a touchdown. So where are you at on this one? Well, let's let's digest this and, and kind of dissect it all the way through. First, the play call in and of itself, I think, was poorly timed um, for not only the part of the field that you were in, but for the momentum of the game and the way the game was going. Like we mentioned, you had just driven the ball down their throat with a run-heavy, uh, actually a completely only run drive. Eight plays, eight runs, positive yards, touchdown. You just established your dominance against a defense that was seemingly wearing down, that you had been working on all day, seemingly wearing them down. So I personally would have gone back to the run. You obviously are going to have guys inching up. Uh, I would have gone to a normal play action there. A play action would have done just the same. You know, bury the ball in his belly, pull it out, let everybody step up and throw it over the top. I don't think it's time to get cute and call a flea flicker or a trick player or anything crazy like that when you're up in a game, and especially on your own side of the field. That's not something that you pull out right now. And kind of reminds me of some of the stuff he used to do in Detroit. And I, and I know this is kind of going back, so I won't stay on too long. But Matt Stafford always kind of seemed to be put in kind of silly positions with silly play calls and just kind of, you know, silly things that they felt like they had to do. I don't ever feel like you need to do that, especially in that situation, like I mentioned, up in a game, on your own side of the field, starting a drive. What's wrong with going with a normal play action? And then, like you said, you know, Will Richardson being in the game at that point, hopefully, you know, you're, you're a professional. This is the NFL. You know, this isn't high school. You should know what the hell you're doing, you know, whether you're in the game or not. If that play is going to get installed, you got to make sure everyone's on the same page. And if you're going to call that, you better damn sure make sure that they know what they're doing ahead of time. Make sure they're all on the same page before that. So that's the first thing. I think it was just poorly timed and, and, and not a great situation to make that call. And like Urban mentioned as the head coach, you got to overrule that. You hear that come down. No, what the hell are we doing? No, line up and let's play football. Like we've got a lead. We're playing really well. Let's just keep executing. Um, the second thing is schematically, this whole whirly bird nonsense doesn't make any damn sense to me. If you're trying to sell the fake, right? You're, you're trying to sell an inside zone run or an outside zone run. It should look exactly like that. When else are you going to run a whirly bird? on a normal run play. You're not going to, it just, it just doesn't happen. So I'm not surprised at all. If if JJ Watt wasn't faked out by it, or if he wasn't confused by it because he was playing a three technique right there. Right. So you see the offensive line start flowing to the right. You're fighting across the offensive line's face to get into that play side gap and hold it. So by Norwell spinning out, coming back around, you're making it a really tough block I don't care if it's Cam Robinson or Will Richardson or anybody over there on the left side to get all the way down the line to come across the face of a three technique who's also going to be flowing with the play. Especially J.J. Watt. Especially I mean, J.J. Watt. Has no scrub. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's J.J. So. Watt. I mean, and, and even if it wasn't J.J. Watt, it doesn't matter who it is. That's just a really tough block for anybody to make. And really any good defensive lineman who's on track uh, you know, with the play is, is going to get through the the line there. So that in and of itself was absolute nonsense. Like he literally has a play where he has it schemed where a lineman's supposed to just spin in a circle and come back around to the opposite side of the play. Like just, just schematically doesn't make any sense to me. And then, you know, like you said, well, they aren't the only team that has run it this year. I will say that I saw Nate Tice tweet out a video of it and it was play action. And it's more it birds. Yeah, it was a play action. Um, you had the guard getting out there, and he he. It was played effectively by the offensive line in that situation, Ooh. where the guard did the whirly bird, got out on the far left side of the offensive line. The tackle swings over, and he gets his guy, uh, the three technique or whatever. I'm not sure the alignment on that one, but um, 
I, well, I, I would like to see that. I'd like to see a video of it. I don't have to look up that video, see it effectively working because I'd have to see, like you said, you know, where the defensive line goes. It's J.J. Watt. You know, he's going to flow into the play. He, he's a good run-stopping defensive lineman. He's, I don't think he's going to get trapped by your tackle coming across his face while you got a guard yeah. doing a whirly bird. So I, that's just my perspective. I don't think schematically it was great. I, I don't mind the flea flicker in and of itself, the thought of it. I just don't like where you called it at what point in the game with us having a lead. I understand the rationale behind it, but I don't agree with it. Now, like I said, if Trevor, well, first of all, if JJ Watt doesn't get through on that play, Trevor gets the ball clean. He steps up and he makes that throw a chart. I, I don't have any argument with that. That probably happens. We're probably having a different conversation. But again, when you make that call in that situation, and it's not great. You're going to put yourself you know, in a bad spot, and then, you know, one bad thing leads to another, and Trevor throws the pick six. He absolutely should have just thrown it away, but you can't put a rookie quarterback in that situation to make that decision on the fly like that. He hasn't seen that before. I mean, to him, he's like, oh, shit, I'm getting the ball out, and he may have made that throw at Clemson to the tight end, but Buda Baker is a different animal. He's not slow. He's getting there. That one is actually Byron Murphy. Uh, Byron Murphy. I'm sorry. You're right. Buda Baker got talented as well. Buda Baker got beat by Chark. But yes, Byron Murphy is one of the one of the best cornerbacks in the league as well. He's going to make that play. Most guys in the NFL are going to make that play. So when you kind of compile all that, you just kind of slap yourself in the face a little bit and just these are the Jaguar things that 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 come about. This is what you know. Unfortunately, just as a Jaguars fan, you've seen this kind of stuff before. Maybe not the worldly bird. Maybe not the same situation, but. You see stuff like this all the time and just go play football. Just go play football. There was no reason to get cute, pull out a bag of tricks. Just go line up and play football. You've been doing it all game and you've been doing it really damn well. Yeah, it was a risky play to run, especially with a backup tackle in there who may or may not have gotten any reps <laughs> working this play in practice. I don't know. So, um, you know. It is what it is. We can all move on from it. I don't think we'll be seeing that anytime soon. Uh, of course, you might see some other strange plays from these Jaguars, but I don't think you're going to be seeing the Whirly Bird and the Flea Flicker anytime soon in Jacksonville. So uh, we mentioned earlier the defense as a whole played really well. They gave up 24 points to one of the hottest offenses in football, Kyler Murray. We all know about this offense. They're unbelievable. The defense played really well. Tyson Campbell struggled a bit after he was able to get that pass breakup on A.J. Green on the slant on the first third down of the game for the Cardinals. Um, Overall, the only play that really bothered me from Campbell was, again, that deep ball where he was in position to try to make a play instead of just trying to hug A.J. Green. Uh, He could have tried to go through AJ Green and get a hand on the football, but he wasn't able to do that. That's been, you know, the issue we've seen over and over again from Tyson Campbell. They're working on it. Uh, Josh Lambeau, everyone knows by this point, missed everything. <laughs> well, he didn't miss everything. He, he made, made one. one extra he made point, one extra point. But he missed two extra points on the day, and obviously that's unacceptable. Um, so yeah, we know about Matt Wright coming in. Um, Trevor, you know. The first interception was a Jacob Hollister drop. The second one is this flea flicker, really weird play. He needed to throw it away, but it is putting him in a very precarious situation. Uh, Then you have the two fumbles. One of them, James Robinson, popped the ball out of his hand. The other one was just an end-of-the-game situation where I'm not too worried about either of them, to be completely honest. Obviously, it sucks for him having four turnovers on his uh, stat sheet from the day, but really, in my mind, only one of them was an issue. Yeah. And to kind of touch on the defense real quick, it sucks that they were put in that position because I think if that whole pick six nonsense doesn't happen, I don't think they give up 24 points to the Cardinals. I really don't. I think they keep holding them. The momentum stays on our side. They keep playing big. And, and I think it's a little bit of a different story. The botched, you know, toss up. It was very clearly pass interference on Tyson Campbell, but the ref said, Hey, I'm not even going to throw that because AJ Green just mossed you, man. And you got to make a play on that ball. We know he's not great with his ball skills, but that ball was up there forever. That ball should have been knocked down, could potentially have been picked. I mean, you don't just let, you know, balls turn up like that in good coverage get caught. I think that's one thing that they did well when Kyler Murray was extending plays this week. Every time he was throwing that ball up, there were guys in coverage. You saw week one when Tyrod Taylor got out of the pocket and was able to scramble and and, and make plays. Guys were wide open down the field. You didn't see that this week, and I think that's something that they've got to understand offensively is you got to keep your defense, keep the momentum on our side, keep them in good situations, you know, 
making the Cardinals drive the ball long distances. They weren't great at that on Sunday, and the defense really stepped up. Um, you know, and, and Lambeau, tough to see that. Um, you know, it's just it is what it is. And, and Trevor, I don't think he's a guy, and listen to him talk, he's not a guy that's going to get hung up on his numbers. We've seen that so far. Even with the turnover problems early in the season, he's still pushing the ball down the field. He's still continuing to progress, get better, make those throws that just drop your jaw. And I think that's great. I think it's great for his development. I think it's great for him as a player to be able to just shake those off. And, and you can tell that it doesn't really affect his demeanor and keep moving. That's what the great guys got to do. They got to learn and they got to keep going. And through the first three weeks, one thing that I've noticed that I think is a really great sign for Trevor is that I have not seen him make the same mistake twice. He has not thrown the same pick twice. He's made some bad decisions and, and you know has had some unfortunate situations with the drops turning into interceptions. I don't know why Hollister jumped for that instead of just reaching his arms out as a protected defenseless receiver in that situation. Go catch that ball. Why are you jumping? I don't understand that. Um, but for Trevor, I mean, it's good to see him not dwell on the numbers. He doesn't look at it as, oh, crap, I just turned the ball over four times and my numbers are starting to stack up, at least I don't think. No, he's not looking at it that way. I'm with you. And uh, I agree. I think he progressed nicely in this game. You you saw the four turnovers. Again, I really am only concerned with the one, and that was him being put in a very odd and unconventional situation with the flea flicker. Uh, so, yeah, he he definitely improved in terms of his chemistry with the receivers, in terms of his grasp of the offense, in terms of knowing where to go with the ball. He looked much better this week. And uh, I think moving forward, he's just going to keep building. And I agree, he's not making the same mistakes twice, which is exactly what you want to see from a guy that has all the talent in the world. Um, So good stuff there. Um, Before we move on to Cincinnati, I'd like to thank Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out of their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Taproom on Roselle. They're the one and only sponsor of the show. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review on the Apple Podcasts app. Really helps us out. Helps more Jaguars fans find the show. And that's what we're all about here. So, moving on to Cincinnati. We've got Thursday night football. Bengals are 2-1, and one, coming off a big road win, divisional win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a dominant showing. Uh, the Vikings, or excuse me, The Cincinnati Bengals beat the Minnesota Vikings by three points in week one, 27-24. They then fell to Chicago. uh, In Chicago, pretty strange to see them, you know, be able to take down the Vikings and Steelers and fall to the Bears, uh, who were dealing with quarterback issues of their own and all sorts of stuff in Chicago. So, yeah, they're 2-1, and set to host the Jaguars on Thursday night football. Joe Burrow and the offense, they're riding high after kind of taking it to the Steelers. They didn't score a ton of points, but they moved the ball pretty easily. Won this game handily 24-10. to They have plenty of quality offensive weapons, including Jamar Chase. Uh, he's looking like a superstar in the making at receiver. He was my number one overall receiver in this draft, by the way. And Joe Mixon, one of the most complete backs in football. Their offensive line, uh, run blocking-wise, they're playing pretty well. They didn't give up a single sack to the Steelers. Uh, And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're stopping the run very well. And uh, they've got Jesse Bates, who's one of the more talented safeties in football, got a good defensive front. So this is a team that's feeling good about themselves. Yeah, and you know, um, last year the Jaguars beat the Colts week one and then lost 15 straight games. So can't really read too much into week one. Um, and then, you know, the Bears, not a great team. Steelers, not a great team either this year. So it does kind of leave a little bit of room for optimism. You know, I, I don't go into this game thinking that, you know, the Bengals are world beaters just yet. And the way we played against Arizona last week really gives me hope that with, a, in my opinion, a lesser of an opponent coming up on Thursday, like, let's be honest, the Bengals, as good as they are and as talented as they are, let's not say they're, you know, they're not a good team yet. They're not a great team yet, but they are a very talented team. They have a little bit more that needs to be desired, that's left to be desired than the Cardinals do, in my opinion, at least. And, and the so, Broncos, in my opinion. And the Broncos. Yeah, and the Broncos. So so it just it gives you some optimism that if you can play like that against the Cardinals, if you can build on that and come play like that against the Bengals, not shoot yourselves in the foot, not make those dumb calls, those dumb 
turnovers, you could put yourself in a position to win this game and end the losing streak. But a lot of things need to happen here. Like you said, they're very talented across the offense side of the ball. I was obviously very wrong about Jamar Chase, at least for now, uh, as it looks. And he has definitely stepped into his own as the regular season has started. But you've got T. Higgins. you got Jamar Chase. You've got Tyler Boyd. You got Joe Mixon. They've got weapons. Joe Mixon brutalized the Jaguars defense last year. You can't let that happen again. And they are much improved in the run. So I expect them to give uh, Joe Mixon some fits here. Um, But you've got to shut him down. You've got to turn the Bengals into a one-dimensional team. You've got to force them to throw the ball. And then you've got to take advantage of what I think is a, a very lackluster offensive line and get pressure on Joe Burrow. Something the Jaguars haven't really done consistently yet this year is get pressure on a quarterback. Last week, <clears throat> last week, excuse me, I think it's a little bit different. Um, I meant to touch on this earlier, but I forgot, so I'll touch on it now. A lot of people were talking about the lack of pressure on Kyler Murray, but in my opinion, I, I think that was not necessarily a bad thing last week. Um, it was by design. Exactly, exactly where I was going with that. I'm glad we're on the same page here. You don't want to let that guy you know, find a hole and get outside. You want to keep everything in front of him, right? Keep the pocket kind of tight, not give any big holes for him to step up and just take off. And I think that was designed. You know, you didn't have Chase on and Josh Allen just, you know, busting up the field, trying to bend the edge because that would leave holes for Kyler Murray to step up and get outside. So a little bit different this week when you're playing Joe Burrow. Now, yeah, he can move a little bit, but he's no Kyler Murray. You need to go ahead and, and get some pressure. Pin your ears back, force him into passing situations, and put some pressure on him with this uh, lackluster offensive line. Really mow them down and, and get pressure on Joe Burrow. Don't let him sit in the pocket because if he does, he's got some receivers that are probably going to make some plays. But again, here we go. Uh, an offense that I think across the board is less talented than the one we faced last week. Do the same thing. Don't let anything break down on the back end. Let your guys get there. You know, Don't let guys run free. Scramble drills, all that kind of stuff. You got to stick with a guy. You got to stick to a man and carry him out. I think you will be okay. And then offensively, get the run game going. They have Jesse Bates over the top. He is a phenomenal safety. Uh, he's going to be all over the field on Thursday night. So get the run he going. He might not early. play. Is he on the injury report? So, yeah, let's look at this real quick. So I haven't so seen the Bengals injury report yet. Preface this. Um, Jesse Bates, inactive at practice today. Neck injury. Cornerback Chidobia Wuzier, who's one of their starting outside corners, groin, did not practice today. T. Higgins, shoulder, did not practice today. Xavier Suofilo, knee, did not practice today. You've also got a couple other guys that are limited, um, Riley Reef and um, Trey Waynes, who's one of their starting outside cornerbacks. He hasn't played all year with a hamstring. He's trending towards playing. But you've got Chidobi Awuzie, the other outside starting corner, uh, looking like he might not be able to go this week. And if that's the case, then you're going to have Eli Apple in the starting lineup for the fourth straight week. And Eli Apple has not been playing well. So, uh, again, Jesse Bates, if he's not there, that definitely helps the Jaguars out. Um, I want to get back, though, a little bit, take a step back, and just look at what the Bengals are doing offensively and defensively. Um, in terms of schematically and just how they're trying to win games here. So um, obviously they're trying to get Jamar Chase in single coverage a lot, and they're doing a really good job of that. He has four touchdowns, uh, over 220 yards in three games. The guy is really tough, and teams for some reason are still just singling him up, and he's eating them alive. So the Jaguars are going to have to have an answer for that. But when you look at what the Bengals do from, you know, how they're lining up, they line up in the gun a lot. You'll get empty a lot. You'll get uh, one running back in the backfield next to Joe Burrow and uh, maybe three by one a lot, get bunch formations uh, with those three receivers that are really talented. And then if Burrow's under center, you can pretty much expect a run nine times out of 10. That's the way they're doing it. And they like these outside zone runs. The stretch plays a lot. It's just really tough to get Joe Mixon down on those plays. He gets a little head of steam. He has great vision. He has great jump cut, great power, great athleticism. I mean, this is one of the most complete backs in football, and they're running the ball very well with him. They're running the ball often with him. But it is kind of what you see what you get with this offense. If they're in the gun, you're probably going to get a pass nine times out of ten. If they're under center, 
you're probably going to get a run nine times out of ten. That's just the way they've been calling plays so far this year. And the worst thing for an offense, especially down the stretch in a football season, is to be predictable. So now I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Tendencies are tendencies for a reason. Um, but as the season progresses, your tendencies are going to start to change a little bit because they know as well that what they're putting on film, teams are picking up on. Right. So it is week four. Well, it, it'll be the start of week four. So I don't think they're going to make any crazy changes yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see you know a few different things uh, that come to the Jaguars on Thursday night. But when you see... Joe Burrow get in the shotgun and you know what the tendencies are. That is your time to go make an impact. Go get Joe Burrow. You know that you have a pass play. Most likely you got to pin the ears back and get off the ball. And you're right. The Bengals love the stretch, the outside zones, because they've got a guy who can really hit the edge, turn it up field. And he's got breakaway speed. But like you mentioned, his cut ability is just otherworldly. I mean, he can be fully flowing with the offensive line, put that foot in the ground and just cut back to the other side up a hole and he's gone through the seam. I mean, it just, it, it, it's, it's really impressive to see. So for the Jaguars, at least you've got a couple guys, in my opinion, that are really great at setting the edge, Josh Allen being one of them. Uh, and Jihad Ward hasn't been terrible at setting the edge this year. Caleb on chase on is going to be playing a lot of the edge and he's a speedier guy who can hope yeah. to keep up with Smoot actually got and, is trending more towards getting the most reps opposite Josh and, Allen right now. And Smoot as well. Um, had a, had a couple tough plays on film last week, not being able to track down ball carriers in the backfield. So that's something you've definitely got to be a little concerned with, but a big body, a guy who's probably going to be a little bit better at setting the edge than Caleb on chase on, um, especially for those outside zone plays. Um, so that's probably, promising uh, as long as you can have linebackers that come up field and fill the gaps especially the cutback holes and, and the lanes and stuff like that you'll have really boy did Damian success. Wilson do that last week yeah he, he did and it's it's fantastic that's the thumper that we were looking for gotta do that this week gotta come downhill gotta fill that gap because at any time like I said Joe Mixon can plant that foot in the ground and turn it back and so if you've got a guy there waiting for him you can bottle him up and, and really set the edge and, and move the edge as well as the offensive line moves and keep the gaps moving and stay in those gaps, you're going to be really successful this week. Yeah. And urban Meyer mentioned, you got to get four hands on that guy. And I couldn't agree with him more. It's got to be more than one guy flowing to the ball. You got to get as many guys as you can taking good angles and wrapping up when they get to the ball uh, with Joe Mixon back there. And they've got some Ajay Pirine, who's a great, uh, pass protector as well and then chris evans he's a really good young rookie i liked him a lot i had him a third round grade i think he went on day day three of the draft but um he's been there kind of pass catching geo bernard type of back so they've got a good backfield uh jamar chase is real tough defensively though they're that's where you're kind of surprised because you don't think of the Bengals as a team that can play defense, but their defensive front is playing very physical with DJ Reader, Trey Hendrickson, Larry Ogan, Joby. They've got Logan Wilson and uh, Jermaine Pratt at linebacker that are playing well. They're only at allowing 3.3 yards per carry. Uh, Von Bell and Jesse Bates, they've been very good against the run as well, helping out coming downhill. And then, from a schematic standpoint, their defensive coordinator is a new defensive coordinator this year for them. Lou Anarumo, uh, he's been switching up their fronts a lot. You might have eight guys in the line at the line of scrimmage, you know, pre-snap, and then a couple guys drop out, a couple guys blitz. He's not afraid to send the blitz, but he's also uh, got these guys playing very stout against the run. So it's an impressive uh, stretch that they, of games that they've put together defensively. The Bengals do have a very sound front seven. You just named some guys. Hendrickson was obviously a very big name um, this year, and and Ogunjobi as well. I believe he was with the Browns beforehand and did some good stuff there. Interior defensive lineman, um, great run stuffer. But the Cardinals had a great front seven too. And this offensive line, at least starting in the second half, uh, really showed that they were able to really come out of their shell. And I think they played probably some of their best football that I've seen from this unit last year and this year in that second half of the Cardinals game. So you can hope they can improve on that, bring that this week on Thursday and, and keep that momentum going, really get James Robinson going, protect your quarterback, uh, and it'll make the game a lot easier for you. Yeah. 
So I spent a little bit of time kind of propping up these guys, right? I mean, they are two and one. You got to give them credit. There are chinks in the armor here. Okay. So they dominated the Steelers last week, right? Um, Steelers did not have TJ Watt. They did not have Stephon Tuitt. They did not have Alex Highsmith, a.k.a. all of their top pass rushers. So you had a Steelers defense that could not generate any pressure, and you had them go uh, sackless in that game. They didn't pick up one sack. The Steelers didn't. So the Bengals' offensive line, feeling pretty good about themselves after that one. But take a look at weeks one and two. They allowed five sacks in each of those games. We're giving up pressures consistently. Um, and despite blanking the Steelers' defense last week with the sacks, they are still third in the league in most sacks allowed by that offensive line. So this is an offensive line that is gettable. Uh, I think they're feeling good about themselves, but they aren't that good uh, because, like I said, the Steelers were completely depleted up front last week so i do think they're gettable i think you gotta have josh allen making a big impact in this one dewan smoot jihad ward heaven forbid if caleb on chase on could actually get something going in the pass rush department i mean i think that they can get pressure on joe burrow and he is moving a little bit better now he's kind of really getting his legs back but uh he's not kyler murray he's not tyrod taylor and uh he's really more of Teddy Bridgewater when it comes to mobility. If that, uh, Teddy Bridgewater might be a little yeah. bit more mobile than Joe Burrow, be. but I couldn't have said it any better. Um, the weak spot of this team has been and still is the offensive line. So you've got to attack that because it affects the run game and it affects the pass game. If you can come out and dominate up front, you will win this game. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Unless, you know, the offense which just wants to hand the Bengals points uh, you know, with pick sixes and, and turnovers and, and stuff like that, which that's a whole different story. But, you know, let's not re- forget what happened last year. I mean, Joe Burrow's knee was obliterated because the offensive line could not block. They didn't really make too many additions up front. They, you know, forwent a uh, top draft pick for an offensive lineman and went wide receiver. So the Jaguars should take note of that and go ahead and attack that weakness and make them pay for it, make them regret it. I mean, it's only been three weeks. Like you mentioned, a very banged up Steelers defense got victimized by the Bengals. The Steelers aren't what they used to be. Um, The Bears are not a very good team. And I think that they kind of resemble our defense a little bit. Um, Obviously, they're way better. Don't get me wrong what I'm saying. But, you know, schematically. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, they've got players across the board that I think single-handedly are probably better than most got, guys on the. I defense. think they have more proven talent. I agree because you look at Khalil Mack, Eddie Roquan Jackson, Smith, Roquan Eddie Jackson, Smith. just those three guys right there. I mean, they lost Fuller, so that 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 sucks. But I mean, they 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 still got some players over there that we don't have. But yeah, you attacked them the same way. You know, go ahead and look at that film, see what they did. That 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 they didn't have any offense. The Bears have no offense, so everything that they're doing that they're they're getting. Um, not not say lucky, but they're taking advantage of the chances they do get to score, and then they're shutting people down defensively. And granted, you know it it, it was their you know only win so far, but you've got to come out and do that. You've got to come out and attack that 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 front. There's there's no way around it. Blow them up in the run game so Joe Mixon can't get going and get pressure on Joe Burrow. Yeah. Yeah, last week, like we mentioned, Joe Cullen kind of called off the dogs a lot last week, wanted to just contain Kyler Murray instead of really getting aggressive trying to get after him. And I think that was a smart play. This week, that is not the play. This week, you try to go get after Joe Burrow. You heat him up. You make him worry about that knee. You make him worry about the offensive line in front of him. One thing you do got to worry about, though, defensively, like we've said, outside of Joe Mixon, you got to figure out how to slow down Jamar Chase. Last week, Shaq Griffin... uh followed DeAndre Hopkins around for most of the snaps, and he did a fairly good job in my estimation. Jamar Chase has been eating up single coverage. I mean, if if that's the route you're going to go, I think he's going to torch you a few times. And I would have a little bit more of a plan than just single coverage with Shaq Griffin the whole game. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just too much speed there. You know, there's there's just too much that could go wrong with a double move or, or you know, quick twitch of, of Jamar. Uh, you've got to have some help over the top. I don't I don't think that you can really trust any of these corners at this point just to be on an island one on one yet. I mean, that's that's what you brought Shaq here to do, but we haven't quite gotten that that sense yet that we can just do that. So I think you have to have too high most of the game. 
obviously, like you mentioned, you know, note those tendencies. If he's under center, we'll walk the safety up. We'll defend the run. But in obvious passing situations and shotgun situations, you got to go too high. You got to have some help. It doesn't have to be quarters. You don't have to play quarters, but you definitely got to play halves with the safeties. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Joe Hayden was trying to match up with Jamar Chase, and so was the Steelers' other corner, who I can't remember his name right now. Not a big household name, but they were just getting eaten alive. Um, so you got to give those guys some help. Um, we mentioned both sides of the ball. You got to bring your hard hat up front. You got to try to win these lines of scrimmage because the Bengals run defense is very tough. Their rushing attack, even though their offensive line isn't great, is very tough because you've got Joe Mexon, who's so talented. Offensive line for the Jaguars has got to man up and handle their business to give James Robinson some holes. And then the defensive front, they've got to just bring it with Joe Mixon running the ball. It's much easier said than done against these guys. Yeah, it is. But it like you, you just you laid out the keys to victory. It's much easier said than done, but when you just can line up and execute, you put yourself in a really good spot. I, I mean, the, the, the keys to victory are very clear-cut here. You know, the Bengals aren't going to do anything tricky. They're not going to do anything special. You know what you have to do to win. So to become a good football team, can you consistently do those things? Can you consistently execute a game plan? So I'm really hoping on Thursday that, that Joe Cullen has a very clear-cut, hey, we're going to stop the run early. We're going to force them into passing situations. And then we're going to do what we do best and, and and really kind of blanket these guys. I think what they did on Sunday against the Cardinals would be a, a picture-perfect way to defend the Bengals in the passing game. Yeah, I agree with you. And flipping sides of the ball, if you want to win against this defense, you attack Eli Apple if he's on the field. So it appears Trey Waynes has a good shot to come back for this one. But if Chidobi Awuzie ain't out there, Eli Apple's going to be starting on the outside. And he's been a pass interference magnet deep down the field so far this year. And he's just been surrendering a lot of completions down the field. I think you can attack him with Marvin Jones, with DJ Chark, even with LaVisca Chenault. And uh, Mike Hilton as well. He's their slot corner. He's allowed 85% completion rate uh and primary coverage so far this year. He's not giving up a ton of yards, but if you're needing a few yards here and there, you can target your guy in the slot against Mike Hilton. Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's very clear that, that their secondary is the weak point of their defense. Outside of Jesse Bates, they're banged up. You definitely want to attack the guy who's who's replacing a starter. That's just NFL 101. Anytime you see a guy go down and they bring in a backup cornerback on the outside, any great quarterback, any great play caller, we're throwing the ball right at him. Put him in a tough position, uh, you know, to guard your number one guy. You know, force a penalty, do something to put him in a bad spot. It's exactly what what you want to do. But I think the key here is to get that run game going early uh, because it opens the door to the play action. And when you start getting guys who don't have a lot of experience um, or who are just playing for the first time this year. Forcing them to step up and defend the run early will force them into the habit of stepping up often. And when you have a guy like Eli Apple who can get beat, who can get in bad position, that play action gives you the chance to have an extra step on that guy. You throw the ball down the field, and like you mentioned, he could be a pass interference magnet and, get, and give you some free yardage, or you just straight out beat somebody and throw the ball over the top. So I think it's critical that even though that front seven is their strength, you still got to attack it and really open things up on the back end because – like you mentioned, some of these guys could really, really give some up, give up some big plays to any one of the Jaguars receivers. I think at any time, one of these three guys can pop off. Marvin Jones has has definitely become the go to guy, the number one receiver. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, in my opinion. But any three of those guys, any one of those three guys, can pop off at any time and can have a big play at any time. So Trevor Lawrence is going to have a really good chance to really survey the field, see the weapons that he has, and really get these guys in good matchups and good mismatches, especially if they do um, you know, do come out in, in some you know tighter formations. I want to see more motion. I want to see more motion across the formation. I want to see more guys bumping out. Let's check things at the line. Let's get some more movement to really kind of, you know, dissect what the defense is doing. Trevor's pre-snap reads have looked good so far. I haven't seen him really kind of be baffled by any coverages after the snap. At least yet it hasn't seemed like it. Um, you know, all of his interceptions have been, you know, tight windows or just, you know, I wouldn't really say he's had really any bad decisions. A lot of drops. Obviously the throw on the flea flicker was a horrible decision, but but really nothing where he's just throwing balls into blanket coverage that he just didn't read it right. So I really want them to, to help him out and be able to 
dissect and, and digest what the defense is doing pre-snap for, especially heading into week four. Yeah, and with the, some of those interceptions, you just got to learn to check it down as right. well. Um, but yeah, limit those offensive unforced errors. We talked about Trevor's, but you can't have the drops. You can't have the drive-killing penalties from the offensive line. All those things, you got to limit them. They're going to happen. It's football. That's going to happen, but you just can't have so many that you're unable to get any sort of rhythm going offensively. But uh, you want to go ahead and get into our score prediction here? Yeah, let's do it. Lead us off. Here, okay. Buddy. All right. I think uh, based on what I saw last week, um, based on things we talked about today, um, you know, based on just the overall matchup between these two teams, I think the Jaguars finally take the step here. And if hey. we, we would have played a, a different game on Sunday against the Cardinals, I would not have this confidence. But just seeing what we did, seeing where we were able to go from the Denver game to the Cardinals game, playing a much better team with a much better defense. And, and we definitely improved and we did a lot of things right. And we kind of really, again, just shot ourselves in the foot. We eliminated the penalties. We eliminated the dumb mistakes. You know, the dumb calls are not on the team. That's on the coaching staff. And I think they'll work that out as well. But I think this has um, all of the makings to be the game. The Jaguars finally get over the hump. I don't think it's going to propel them into a season long, just victory run here, but I think, They'll show us what they can do when they put everything together for an entire game and do it properly on Thursday night on national television. I think the Jaguars will beat the Bengals 24 to 10. Beautiful. I love it. All right. So my score prediction is not quite as rosy as yours. I think the Bengals run defense is too strong and Joe Burrow currently is he's just ahead of Trevor right now. That's just the way it is. He's, he's not making the rookie mistakes anymore that Trevor's making and he's, he has more reliable targets at this point. So I'm going to take Bengals 30 to 24 with the caveat that if Jesse Bates or um, Chidobi Awuzie does not play in this game, I will take the Jaguars because if you get Eli Apple on that field, I think Trevor is going to torch him. So I will take the Jaguars if either of those things happen, but I, we don't know how the injury report is going to play out. Who's going to end up being on the field. The Bengals could be without a lot of key guys. If they are without Bates or uh, Awuzie, I'm taking the Jacks. Is that fair enough? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you, you could definitely go either way with this. I, I could totally see the argument for the Bengals um, really from any perspective. Uh, just the Jaguars haven't shown it to anybody yet. I think anybody yeah. outside of Jacksonville is probably going to look at this and just say, nah, it's the Jaguars. The Bengals are going to win, but and watching that game on Saturday, I mean, I'm sorry, on Sunday, just there's something there. There, there, there have been the sparks. Now, I hope we didn't get rid of our sparks. I hope we didn't use them all up too early. Um, but I, I would definitely understand and, and really kind of, I mean, if you could argue with me enough, you could probably convince me the other way the Bengals would win this game. Their targets are much more reliable, like you said, all of their receivers. Um, it's just, are the Jaguars going to come out and execute? Yep. That's what it'll come down to. It's going to be fun. I think the talent's there. I think they're building towards something that's a, a lot greater than anything we've seen so far. But we'll see if this is the week where they finally put it together. Another shout-out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. That'll do it, Duval. Before we Enjoy get, the rest well, of Okay, oh, yeah. well, before before we jump out real quick, I did want to bring this up because I know that you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I, I did see it pop up on the feed here. So I did see that play tweeted by Nate okay. Tice about the Vikings with the Whirly Bird. I'm going to break this down just in a quick few seconds here for you. The, the Seahawks defense is playing a little bit of an adjusted 3-4 here, right, with the two linebackers walked up on the outside. So it's kind of the same situation for the Jaguars. They were on the right hash. Um, it looks like they're either on their own 25 or on the opposing team's 25. I can't tell. There's no numbers. But they're on the same hash. So they run that same kind of let's, you know, zone it to the right to get the defense you know, flowing to the right. And it looks pretty good, uh, but that backside linebacker is really more of a wide nine end. So he's not crashing down. So the end actually on that play is not playing head up over the tackle. He's playing a little bit more inside, almost like a three technique. But his job there is to play that B gap because you've got the big nose eating up that A gap as the play flows. So the difference here is when that end stays on the left guard's outside shoulder, sort of the backside of the play, it's a lot easier for that tackle to make that scoop block across his face and get in front of him. When you have a guy like J.J. Watt, who doesn't just sit on that outside shoulder and comes across the guard's face into the A-gap, that's where that play didn't work. So schematically, 
that's where it had some issues. But they come back to the left side of the field here. They didn't run the flea flicker. I think that one of the biggest things about that is that we ran it into our own sideline, into the right, you know, into the right boundary from the right hash. That shrinks the field down. When you see Kirk come out and throw the ball back the other way, there's so much space out there to manipulate that ball placement. And that receiver, I think it's Steele, and I can't tell here, has so much space uh, to get open. So it does look very, very pretty the way they ran it. I can see where it would have worked with that end, that the outside linebacker coming in late and allowing him to get outside to that and, and block off, seal off that back end. But yeah, it didn't look like anything we ran on Sunday. That's for damn sure. Beautiful. I'm so happy you were able to uh, get in there and break that down for everyone. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure they loved it too. Everyone that's listening right now, I'm sure they're so happy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, again, if you guys weren't able to see how that should look, it's at Nate Tice, I believe, uh, had that play up on Twitter. So go check it out. But that'll do it. Thanks, Jeremy, so much. Had a great time talking with you today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy Thursday night football and go Jags. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.